0: What we're going to be talking about today is really free speech. Free speech as a cornerstone of liberal democracy and really a capstone in a lot of ways of modernity itself. Free speech is absolutely critical and it's so relevant to so many of the cultural and political conversations that we see all around us these days, uh, many of which we'll talk about in this show. You know, free speech is something that is not only a fundamental human right, But in a lot of ways, it's also a safeguard, right, for societal progress and innovation as we know it. And this is something that just is one of those human rights that feels like generationally needs to be fought for again and again and again. And I think today we have a real champion of free speech with a very, very long uh, legacy behind her. And I'm just really, really excited to get into this conversation and this discussion with you guys. So why don't you introduce our special guest, Mark?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have the heavyweight champion <laughs> of free speech. So it's a true honor to introduce my friend Nadine Strossen. I'm holding her book right now for those to see her latest book on hate and why we should resist it with free speech, not censorship. Uh, It's a wonderful book. Uh, I keep it close as I remind myself of the importance of speech. And let me just share with the audience a little bit about Nadine. She is the New York Law School Professor Emerita and past president of the ACLU of the United States from 1991 to 2008. A leading expert and frequent speaker, media commentator on constitutional law, taught constitutional law and civil liberties testified before Congress, serves on the advisory boards of the ACLU, Heterodox Academy, National Coalition Against Censorship, and is a founding member of the Academic Freedom Alliance and a senior fellow at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Been noted as one of the top 100 lawyers in the nation, friend of Supreme Court Justices Ginsburg, the late, great Scalia and Justice Souter, who is still with us. And I'm honored to call her my friend. So Nadine, welcome to Integral Justice Warrior. And um, we're delighted to have you expand your wisdom with our audience to help us understand more deeply why free speech really matters and why censorship isn't the It's always
2: wonderful to have the chance to talk with you, Mark, it's a real honor to be on your show and I welcome whatever questions or concerns are foremost on your minds about this really important subject and your introduction was right on point, Corey, we have to constantly renew and reinvigorate and indeed question and criticize and, and argue against our free speech beliefs because that is itself what freedom of speech calls for.
0: We're compelled to constantly re-examine and renew our commitment to free speech as, again, as sort of this foundational cornerstone of, of Western democracy itself, especially since the landscape of free speech today is quite different than it was in 1791 when it was you know codified for the very first time these days we have We should
2: throw out for not everybody will realize that cory's referring to the date of the ratification of the first amendment to the u.s constitution with its free speech clause the original constitution did not have an express free speech guarantee
0: Yes. And I think what we're looking at right now is how dramatically different the landscape, this marketplace of ideas that free speech enables, how different that marketplace is today than it was in 1791. Than it was when these ideas first emerged in the first place. Where really speech back then was limited to written speech and verbal speech. Those were the primary, you know, methods of speech that were available to May us. May I time.
2: interject a historical perspective? Please. Because I'm very proud Please. of um, the founders of our country, and even more importantly, those who have pursued advocacy including lawsuits to actually turn the founding principles of free speech into a reality because for most of our history they were just words on a piece of paper that were completely ignored in practice But with all due Mm. respect to them, the tradition and the beliefs in free speech and the principles, Corey, go back much, much earlier. I mentioned John Stuart Mill, uh, an essay that was written in the mid-19th century. But my friend and colleague, Jakob Michangama, who's a Danish uh, free speech scholar, uh, wrote a wonderful book a couple of years ago called Freedom of Speech from a global history, from Socrates to social media, and and it's not only uh, throughout all the historic eras that you see the same principles being debated, to be sure, but being advocated by some, and died for by some, not such as Socrates, Uh, but also he shows that these principles and debates have occurred in completely different cultures all over the world with different religious traditions. So I think that there is something, there's some universal human aspiration yeah. and fear, right? So it's always the, you know, on the one hand the desire for free speech, on the other hand the fear. Uh, and you know, talking about the ancients, when the transition was made from speaking to writing that was attacked Mm -hmm. because of all the adverse impact that you know you're going to degrade people's oral abilities you're going to degrade their memory through this revolutionary new mode of communication namely the written word i say all of that not at all to denigrate i understand you know the significant more recent technological developments that you're talking about but the general problem uh, or the general issue that's presented by new modes of communication and new communications technology has been with us throughout and even before
1: human. So let's jump to a contemporary case, Nadine. I was reading, trying to read up on some of your current stuff that's out there. And I saw that you wrote a piece with conservative thought leader Christian Wagoner president of the Alliance Defending Freedom, about the web designer case. And and you can go into more detail, but just briefly, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a web designer who will not have to be forced to support gay marriage, something that is against her belief system and her Christian faith. And so I, I thought it was interesting because you both put it out there as something that was helping all of our freedoms, uh, championing all of our our rights. And then I took a brief look at Justice Sotomayor's, you know, dissent. And so, you know, here's some of her language that she read. What a difference she said five year makes. And not just at the court around the country. There's been a backlash to the movement for liberty and equality for gender and sexual minorities new forms of inclusion have been met with reactionary exclusion. This is heartbreaking, sadly. It's also familiar when the civil rights and women's rights movements sought equality in public life. Some public establishments refused. Some even claimed, based on sincere religious beliefs, constitutional rights to discriminate. The brave justices who once sat on this court decisively rejected those claims. So when I was reading that, or just looking at the case, it brought me back to the 1940s Jehovah's Witnesses cases on the Supreme Court and I'm guessing that's where you and I might see this similarly and maybe you can share with the audience those cases and why this is a champion for everybody.
2: Yeah, I was very disappointed by Sotomayor's dissent because to me it was not addressing the actual facts and the actual issue in the case, and I have to say I, I have great respect for her, but no, even when you have great respect for somebody, you will occasionally disagree with them, and even when you usually disagree with somebody, as I usually disagree with the Alliance Defending Freedom, you will sometimes agree with them. And I think this is you know, something that should be taken for granted, but in our current culture People tend, as we know, to ally with tribes and see everything in binary. And you know, if it comes from your tribe, you have to root for it. And you, you know, you're disloyal and you're a traitor if you dare to dissent. So I think this is very healthy that uh, I would disagree with Sotomayor and agree with the uh, conservatives on the court. But you're exactly right that what this involved, Mark, was government compelled speech. And the Supreme Court has upheld an implied right under the First Amendment not to be forced to say something that violates your beliefs, whether they're political beliefs or religious beliefs or philosophical beliefs. And that goes all the way back to the famous Jehovah's Witness case, Uh, in the 1940s, it was an ACLU case, we proudly defended the Jehovah's Witnesses, and to understand the significance, I have to say something about the historical context, because for the Jehovah's Witnesses, in the middle of World War II, when we were fighting against fascism, to refuse to salute the American flag was seen as deeply, traitorous, unpatriotic. They've suffered greatly for this. Not only were the kids kicked out of school and the parents were punished, but some Jehovah's Witness members were even castrated, tarred, and feathered. And so, you know, just imagine how hated and how unpopular and even dangerous and subversive that refusal to salute the flag was then, and yet the Supreme Court strongly said that it was an even deeper intrusion into individual freedom of conscience to be forced to say something we don't agree with than to be stopped from saying something that we do agree with. I thought that was very interesting, to be a little bit wonky here uh, as a constitutional law professor. Basically, freedom of speech is not absolute, so government may restrict speech if it can show that the restriction is necessary to promote a countervailing goal of great importance such as national security or equality rights but in this case the court twice said there is an absolute right not to be coerced by government to express support for an idea that's antithetical to your beliefs we can't think of any exception So they literally did protect it even more strongly.
0: One of the things that's surfacing for me as I hear both of you talk, is it feels to me like we are experiencing a society-wide failure of imagination. In other words, free speech comes with challenges. Free speech is messy, right? Free speech is complicated. These issues we're talking about are deeply deeply complicated and it requires a a little bit of horsepower just for us to be able to really wrap our minds around it right these are hard questions censorship isn't hard censorship isn't messy it's clean right it's it's almost like we have this reactionary sort of response to the complexities of our time that makes us Want to slide back into illiberal sort of solutions for these problems because again alongside Free speech comes issues like these the possibility of information overload and paralysis too much information Floods the zone as as I think Steve Bannon was you know was famous for Injecting that quote into American politics. You just flood the zone with the spread of propaganda and disinformation We are seeing this writ large in society, in our communications networks, in our media institutions and so forth. Free speech allows us to drown out authentic voices. When all voices are weighed equally, the most authentic or the most, you know, the voices with the most expertise are sort of diluted. And it can be harder to find truth, ironically when we're surrounded by free speech there's the possibility of normalizing extremism there's undermining trust in our institutions there's stoking division there's manipulation of the media landscape and so on and on and on there are real real critical challenges that come with free speech that requires some deep thinking some deep contemplation right society-wide, it requires a, a kind of imagination that it feels like we as a people have sort of lost touch with. And so we wanna bypass the problems altogether and just go to the to the most simple, the most clean, at least in the short-term solution we can find, which is censorship. Censorship solves every one of those problems. Of course, it creates new problems that are to magnitudes worse than the problems that, that come with free speech, but in the short-term, it feels like, you know, I mean, propaganda and disinformation well just don't allow that and you know just cut that off altogether it's a brute force solution to a very very complex problem
2: and corey emphasis in that i completely agree with what you so eloquently said but i would put the emphasis on censorship feels like a solution because yeah, of course exactly. it's not, and, right. and you know to your point of the complexity, what we're concerned about are people's attitudes and people's behavior. So addressing expression, even assuming hy- completely hypothetically that you could effectively suppress all distasteful, you know, disinformation, hate speech, and so forth, it's not going to change people's underlying attitudes, uh, let alone change their behavior. But it's so, so much easier, and you don't have to raise taxes to do it, so it's a politically appealing so-called quick fix to the most complicated problems.
1: Which I would guess, Nadine, you had some problems when Trump was banned on Twitter.
2: I did. I did. You know this uh, IQ squared, intelligence Q squared debate program where they take an audience uh, vote beforehand, before the debate and after the debate. Uh, So shortly after Trump was banned, I did an IQ squared debate, should Twitter have banned him? And beforehand, the audience was very much in favor of that, yes. But after the debate, I'm very proud I and my debate partner turned them around, because again, I think people had not thought of the longer term implications. Our hearts might not bleed for Trump himself, but what about all of the people who wanted to hear him, including his political opponents, because uh, many analysts were saying one of the reasons why he lost the traditional suburban voters was because of what he said on Twitter. They were turned off by what he said, and they came out and they voted against him. But even more importantly, although Trump himself has the resources and the you know, name power to find alternative media outlets, That's not true for other people. And right out of the gate, uh, Angela Merkel in Germany expressed great concern, and Navalny in the Soviet in Russia expressed great concern that this is a power that is going to be used disproportionately against dissidents. The ACLU issued a statement saying, um, you know, we're really concerned about our clients, including our... Black, brown LGBTQ clients who are marginalized and oppressed, they're not gonna have alternatives, and you know the, the company that has the power to do this to Trump even more strongly can do it to these other more vulnerable people.